Thank you so much, Perry. That was beautiful. You all actually have Perry to thank or blame for the platform topic uh, today, at least in part. He approached me when um, providing music for a platform service months ago about doing Spider-Man as the opening song, and it, it didn't quite fit then, and then I realized that there were not that many platforms that it would quite fit for, and so <laughs> I had to do a whole one about heroes, and I think this was the one. And of course, superheroes are in the air anyway. They're in the air every summer. It seems that you can't have a blockbuster film without somebody flying through space or jumping over buildings, hanging on with webbing. The truth is that we have always needed heroes. Many of you know Joseph Campbell's work on religion and um, his idea of the monomyth, the myth that comes through every religious tradition, which he writes about in The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He describes that myth as having some essential elements. And in his words, a hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered, and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. So from Joseph Campbell to Spider-Man, we've always had heroes roaming around in our imaginations. In fact, a colleague of mine, who I quoted this morning in the opening words, is speaking about superheroes this very morning at her congregation. We have been trading notes back and forth on Facebook when I noticed a post. She was looking for help um, creating a chalice lighting using superhero words, which is what I shared with you this morning. She's talking about Superman, Batman, Spider-Man... I believe they're playing the music to um, the Superman theme song and the Batman theme song. We got Spider-Man here, so between the two of us, we're, we're good. In keeping with our genre from last week, though, this is the second in a two-part series, I want to talk a little more specifically about heroes from the fantasy world. Last week, we talked about different worlds, about the stories that invite us to imagine going through a window to an entirely different place, and we particularly looked at the Golden Compass series and the Narnia series. I said last week that two of the themes in those those worlds were the ideas of deep magic and of self-sacrificial love. And I want to talk a little bit more about that from the context of heroes this time. Many of you know the Narnia story. In fact, I think it's often in our collective childhood imaginations, at least. And remember Aslan, the great hero, the great lion uh, in that story. Aslan is a great, a good example of both deep magic and self-sacrificial love. But we have an example that's even closer to our modern collective imagination these days. Harry Potter. How many of you have seen the Harry Potter movies? Or read the books? Read the books? About similar. Okay. Everybody else thought they were spot on with the casting of Ron Weasley. 
Wasn't that perfect? I just thought he came to life from the books. I read all the Harry Potter books. I actually read them out loud um, to my mother. We read them back and forth until they got um, really too good and and you couldn't read out loud fast enough to make it through. You were really nervous about what was going to happen, and so then we would have to sit side by side and try to read together. There was a lot of, um, are you done yet? Are you done yet? I'm, I'm through that page. So what's a good bonding experience. So... So you're familiar at least with some of the context of the Harry Potter movies. And, um, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that we find out in the very first novel that Harry is special. He's a, a wizard. And even within the wizarding world, he's special in some way. What we find out throughout the course of that novel is that Harry is, is marked as different and also protected protected by something deep, even deeper, it turns out, than the magic that Voldemort, or he who must not be named, the uh, villain of the series, even deeper than the magic that Voldemort tries to destroy Harry to conquer him. Something that Voldemort forgot about or can never fully access. That thing that Harry's protected by is love. In this case, it's his mother's love given to protect him as a baby. And it's that kind of self-sacrificial love, that kind of deep magic that we talked about last week. That love means for Harry Potter that Voldemort can't touch him. There's a a great scene in the book where... um, where Voldemort, who turns out to be inside somebody's turban, it's a long story, um, uh, tries to get his hands on Harry and literally can't touch his body because he's so deeply protected by his mother's love. We see that same thing in Narnia. Aslan, the great lion, is essentially in the first novel resurrected. Remember we talked last week about the fact that Narnia is a Christian story written by a Christian theologian. He's resurrected because of that deep love. And again, the White Witch forgot about it. The villain in that, in that series forgot about the power and the magic of deep love. So we see that theme there, also kind of a note to uh, fantasy villains to try to write a post-it note or something to themselves about deep magic and love, because it's always going to crop up. Later in the Harry Potter series, Harry himself is called on to make a self-sacrificial choice. Now, I'm not going to say more there because it is at the end of the last book, and if you haven't seen the whole thing or still waiting to see the last movie, I don't want to spoil it. But I think that choice, too, and kind of what comes out of it, links Harry in some ways with themes from the Christian story as well. So, so I want to just highlight that, that piece, that link between the self-sacrificial love that we often see in fantasy novels and the idea of self-sacrificial love as deep love that we find in the Christian story as well. I think it can be seen as deep love for a fellow human, the idea of putting someone else before yourself. But I want to note that that kind of self-sacrificial love within the Christian story has been used in harmful ways by different people in different traditions. I think it's been especially a harmful narrative when it's not really chosen. When it's imposed on somebody without authority, somebody without rights of self-governance, you think particularly about folks that are told to stay in abusive relationships because, you know, they, they, they should put somebody else first, you know. And so we've, we've seen the harm that that does, but, 
What I want to get us to is the idea that that's not the original intent of the story at all. That, that the kind of self-sacrificial love that I think is the, the original idea and that I think you see both in the Christian story and then also in fantasy novels is the idea of choice, of choosing to put someone else before oneself, having a choice and making it. So what are some of the other themes that we see in heroes in fantasy novels? Well, one of them we've already talked about with Harry Potter is the idea of specialness, being marked out for something different. One of the marks of many fantasy heroes and of superheroes as well is that they often begin as nobodies, small people, people without a lot of power, maybe with even less power than the usual person, people that live, for instance, in a small closet under the stairs, as Harry Potter does at the beginning of his novels. And then those people are chosen in some way, or their destiny becomes clear to them. And they, too, look again for this theme of choice. They, too, make their own choices. I think when we imagine choice, Batman especially comes to mind among superheroes. Batman wasn't bitten by a mutant spider or didn't accidentally slip in radioactive um, stuff. Um, he, he, he's... he's He's a rich man who has a desire to serve and has a lot of really big toys. So the element of choosing, of wanting to be a superhero, is especially strong, I think, in the Batman myth. In fantasy novels, that idea of specialness, of being marked for something different, often comes through a trial, through a tragedy even. Like Harry Potter, special because of an encounter he endured during the death of his parents. The children in Narnia are special because they're separated from their parents, brought into their uncle's home and free to explore a different world, to explore the magic around them. There's this interaction we see all the way through of bad luck, good luck, destiny, and choice. I think a related concept and a theme that we see through a lot of different superheroes and, and, um, and fantasy novels and really heroes in general, it was actually brought up last week during our community sharing time, is the idea of the reluctant hero. The hero who, who didn't really want to be picked. You know, Harry Potter's never quite sure he really wants to fulfill his destiny. He'd rather just be your average uh, wizard um, than your special wizard. That's a key part of many hero myths over time and across traditions, especially hero myths, hero stories in the Bible. The heroes in the Bible never want to be picked. Sometimes later there are some prophets that think that it would be okay, but the heroes in those original stories, those figures, absolutely not. Moses, one of the sort of archetypes of heroes, stutters, and because of that, begs God to let him off the hook, doesn't want to lead the people out of Egypt. Gideon asks God, God uh, gives Gideon a task, a message to bring to the people, and Gideon asks God to prove that he's supposed to do it through three miracles, which is kind of a lot of miracles, actually, um, to require. And then Jonah, how many people know the story of Jonah? A lot fewer than Harry Potter. Okay, that's all right. (laughs) Jonah, the the text actually says Jonah ran away from the Lord. He had to be, he was also given a message he needed to bring to Nineveh. He had to be eaten by a whale and left in the whale's stomach for three days in a kind of like extended time out. You really have to think about this. (laughs) 
before the whale then, you know, vomits him up on a, on a beach, and finally he says, okay, fine, I'll do what you told me I was supposed to do. That idea of reluctance, of I don't think I'm the right person, you should probably send somebody else, links to the larger biblical narrative that says that anyone might have important work to do. Always, all throughout stories in the Bible, you see that the smallest and the least is the most special, the most needed. And it's rare, I think, in in other stories for heroes to get bitten by the spider or to fall into that radioactive stuff and then say, oh, great, I was just waiting to be a hero. That's fantastic. I love being sort of half mutant now. (laughs) They run, run away from their role. They hide from it. Harry Potter keeps messing up, trying to do something different. So why is that, I wonder? Why, you know... On the face of it, it seems like it would be great to be able to do all these amazing, magical, superhuman things. I think that part of it is a fine, that there's a fine line between the hero and the anti-hero, the hero and the villain. I thought about this especially as I read another book in preparation for this platform this morning. Last week, I told you that I felt as though I'd been very clever to uh, come up with uh, two weeks where I needed to read essentially like my favorite kind of fiction to prepare. And last week, I got to read the whole Golden Compass series. This week, in preparation for the platform, I read the first book of the Twilight series, which is maybe even a little less defensible as, um, <laughs> as preparation for an ethical culture platform. But More on that later. Um, So at the beginning of the Twilight series, um, Bella, who's the the heroine, a human, is trying to figure out who or what this mysterious guy in her high school, whose name is Edward, who or what he is. And I'm going to quote for you. I'm trying to figure out what you are. What are your theories? I blushed. It's written in Bella's voice. I didn't blush. Bella blushed. I blushed. I had been vacillating during the last month between Bruce Wayne and Peter Parker. Please tell me just one little theory. Um, well, bitten by a radioactive spider? Edward says no, he's not radioactive. And then Edward goes on. What if I'm not a superhero? What if I'm the bad guy? You're dangerous, I guessed, my pulse quickening as I intuitively realized the truth of my own words. He was dangerous. He'd been trying to tell me that all along. But not bad, I whispered, shaking my head. No, I don't believe that you're bad. The spoiler alert is that Edward is a vampire, although if that was really a spoiler for you, you have been deliberately keeping yourself out of the popular culture conversation for a few years. I feel as though I should apologize as well for the writing um, that I've just quoted. (laughs) My pulse quickened. Um, It doesn't exactly translate that well in our supposedly intellectual atmosphere here at the Ethical Society. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a whole other platform about Twilight, whether it's redeemable as literature, as young adult literature. There's a really interesting look at adolescent sexuality and the teen interest in the dark and the dangerous. So... If you ask nicely, I'll read the entire series, watch all the movies, and then do that platform if you'd like. But there is... (laughs) Right, or you could bite me. But there's something going on here, right? There's something about the edge that you dance along between hero and anti-hero. You know, is he dangerous? Does that mean that he's bad? 
I think there's the idea that with great strength and great power comes the potential to for great damage. So I think that's part of this reluctance that we often see as heroes are bitten or slip in radioactive goo, the reluctance to take on their destiny, to really embrace their powers, because they too are aware of kind of dancing on that edge. We have an interest in villains, too, in our society. And I just can't speak today without mentioning what I imagine is in some of your minds and has been in mine with the tragic Aurora shooting it adds a kind of horrifying layer onto something already unspeakably awful that it came about in the context of of a superhero fantasy. I've been thinking a lot about that and about the Sikh temple, about the real heroes that emerge in the world, about self-sacrificial love and about deep magic and the way that it can somehow endure even hatred and what I would call evil about horrible real events and the amazing real heroes that can make the rest of this seem like complete pretend and irrelevant. But I'm not entirely sure that that's the case, that it does make the fantasy heroes irrelevant. Why not? Why why talk about all of this when we have so many real things, real heroes to celebrate, real villains to be scared of? To me, it brings me back to that original question, why we need heroes at all. Last week, when we talked about fantasy and fantasy worlds, there was some conversation about how and where that kind of uh, imagining belonged in a religious tradition that's really about the here and now. And as I was preparing for this platform and going back and forth with this minister who's speaking about superheroes herself today, I wanted to share some of the thoughts that she had, one in particular. What her congregation will be hearing today, among other things, is the idea that superheroes, and these are her words, give us moral frameworks without a religious structure. She'll reference Spider-Man's great power and great responsibility, but I, I think the idea is that as much as other worlds might invite us into metaphorical thinking, in, in, in fantasy novels, I wonder if fantastical heroes actually inspire our own very human heroic impulses. And whether in our tradition, a tradition that doesn't always access sort of more traditional religious myths and stories, more traditional religious heroes, whether we might not be looking to those superheroes, the heroes of fantasy and magic, to create that model that we need for ourselves. At the very least, I think fantasy, science fiction, and superhero figures can hold meaning for us, particularly when we can't ourselves access the meaning in other hero stories. And there's something, too, about the humanity found in the most superhuman, the most fantastical of heroes. One of the things I think that people are especially drawn to in the Superman story is kryptonite, Superman's great weakness. The other piece is the story of Superman and Lois Lane, the very human dynamic of their relationship. 
The best part for me of the Harry Potter books was the one where the focus was not the magic. I think it was like book five, but the adolescent angst. Does anyone remember reading that book? It, it was almost unreadable. Almost. Harry Potter's angst was so real, so familiar. And he had plenty. It was spot on for how any person experiences those years in in life, whether or not they walk around with a wand and robes. Sometimes I think it's actually part of the hero's journey to access their humanity. Even as they take on those great powers that they're not sure about, this great strength or great magic, part two is to figure out the human piece. In Twilight, Edward the vampire is describing his choice not to kill people. He's a good vampire, as it turns out. See, he was dangerous, but not bad. She was completely correct. (laughs) And I quote, this is what Edward says. Just because we've been dealt a certain hand, it doesn't mean that we can't choose to rise above, to conquer the boundaries of a destiny that none of us wanted, to try to retain whatever essential humanity we can. I think that's so key in the superhero story, in the fantasy hero story, really in any hero story. Their connection both to their great powers and also to their humanness. There's been a quote going around Facebook recently. You may have seen it from Nora Ephron. Be the heroine in your own life, not the victim. It's a great quote, and people have been posting it, and I know at least one person who's actually pursued a dream in honor and in memory of Nora Ephron and and acting out of that quote. I think when, when she said that, she's talking about taking action despite reluctance. She's talking about taking initiative, taking charge of the plot, the story of your own life, much the way heroes are called to take charge of their destiny, to take what's been given to them and then to make a choice moving forward. And so as we look at fantastical and biblical and superhero heroes, I think there's a whole piece that that ties the three of them together about recognizing your humanity and your gifts, which all of us have and about making choices to use those gifts for good. About choosing love, too. Remembering the deep magic that the villains always forget. Whether or not love is really magical, I certainly think it's worth a try living that way. So go ahead. Be a hero.